Hey, they do space stuff. <laughs> I bet you they're going to be part of Space Force. Heck yeah. How are you doing, Arthur? I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> I go, he's not eating my dreams. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, it's like like when you came on and you talked about the the whole money that if you can't save a certain amount of money or you can't make a goal about money it's because you have a story and i'm listening to the polo and i'm like crap he's literally describing everything about me hmm has he been listening somewhere in my house <laughs> <laughs> but can i be the strong fat guy like you know because every movie has one <laughs> like so i was like every movie has that one strong fat guy you know, who beats up like 19 guys before he's taken down. That's who I want to be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Welcome to Five Guys and the Bible, a weekly podcast where five guys from around the country dig deep into the scriptures and talk about how it relates to life. Thanks for listening and always be blessed. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Five Guys and the Bible. Um, tonight, we are going to be diving into um, what some people would call a little bit controversial subjects and looking at things from a perspective of somebody that lived 2,800 years ago, uh, which in today's world, we really don't have much of a mind for. So uh, we're going to be digging into that. Um, but before that, I would like to start us off with some prayer. All right, dear God, I just ask that you come into this conversation and um, Open our, open our hearts and open our minds up as we try to take a perspective back to the time of Moses and to, of Noah and David and all of those in the Old Testament, a time that we really don't have the ability to think without all the distractions that we have in today's world and just see what they saw and, and be as pure as they were in how they viewed the world. Um, and we ask that those people listening to us <clears throat> listen with the intention to understand rather than the intention to respond. And they give it the opportunity that, that we're just going to ask for, just the opportunity to listen and do their research. There's going to be plenty of resources we'll give. So with that, God, I just ask that you um, bless our conversation and keep us directed towards you so that we don't fall off that edge. In your holy son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. 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 All right. With that, um, Carl, I'm going to put um, a link to Heiser in the description. Okay. Um, and the book we're going to be working off of is The Unseen Realm. So that's the one I'm using. Um, and he's, he's where I get a lot of my information from, but he uses multiple authors throughout his writings. Um, and different papers and everything like that. So uh, if you can just, because I, I believe you looked up Heiser also, so if we can just add a link to his website so people can um, get the information that they want. Um, yes. Cool. And uh, with that, I guess um, we'll start off with uh, Michael Heiser does a couple different things. One is he says that he uses a Deuteronomy 32 worldview. Um, so if you were to look at the Deuteronomy 32, you would see um, it speaks of 
uh, a lot of interesting things. But he said the one thing that changed his mind and really opened him up was Psalm 82. And it was Psalm 82, verse 1. And that reads, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. Uh, and just that one right there. Now, in, in the Hebrew, it uses Elohim and Elohim. And I don't know, I don't know Hebrew, but from the direction that was given by him, and that's his, um, that's his wheelhouse, his ancient languages. Um, Elohim used twice in the same sentence. The second one's plural. So the first one's a singular, and the second time it's used in the same sentence, it makes it a plural. So like we add an ES, an IES, or an S to the end of something, the second use of the same word makes pluralizes it according to Hebrew rules, I guess you would say. Um, and another thing that gives it away is he stands in a congregation, and a congregation can't be one person. So that kind of set him off on his search and why he would look at something like that and not, not have seen it before. Um, and I guess that would be, you know, where, where I would start and look at it and say, I mean, how do you explain something like that? And the toughest part is, is people look at that and say, oh, so you're saying that there's more than one God. In, in that sense, yes, there's one big G God, and there is multitude of little G gods. Um, and those are uh, you, the devils could be looked that way. Um, angels can be looked at that way. I mean, there's different ways that people can look at it, but... Um, God is the Almighty. He is the all-powerful. He is the omnipotent. He's everything. But when you look at it from the worldview of 2,800 years ago, it wasn't unheard of or even odd for someone to say that there was a congregation or a divine council that ruled over the world with one, with God, with Elohim being the most high. Um, and to hear that was kind of odd for me. Um, a couple other places that it shows up. Uh, I, I gave you guys that list, but uh, Job 38. I just got to find it now. I didn't mark my pages. You got Job 38, <laughs> 4 through 7. Yep. And then uh, Psalms 86. 89, 5 through 7. Okay. Job. So the Job ones, I yep. think, the reason I pulled those up is. is it shows two different things, and one of them gets explained away real easily. Um, okay, so uh, Satan attacks Job's character. So in Job 1.6, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And in there it says sons of God, and, and oftentimes when you bring that up, it's put off as, well, those are the leaders of Israel. Those are the sons of God. Um, however, it, it contradicts itself when you go into Job 38, um, Job 38, four through seven. And the biggest thing here is if it's, if it's not consistent throughout, then, then can it be consistent the one time and Job 38, four through seven, he says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. 
Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To that where its foundation fastened? Or who laid its cornerstones? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So if the sons of God were the kings of Israel, there was nobody on earth yet in Job 4 through 7 because he's making the earth and he's asking, where's your understanding of this? And where were you when the sons of God were singing the praises? So this is before so, man and sons I, of God is used in two different determinations. So to say the first one, well, that's just the leaders of Israel. And in the second one, you're like, well, that, that's just nothing. It doesn't make sense. So those are the ones that kind of caught me and then kind of drew me into this whole thing of, um, a divine council where you know how often is it showing up in the old testament where these kinds of things show up where it's really not an easy answer and then when you bring it up to modern people you know even the 14th century people that translated the bible they didn't have they were still 2000 years behind what the mindset was of the people that wrote the bible and can they can they go back and look at it without all the requirements of their modern mind? That's what we're going to talk about. So, Danny, you were, you were going to say something. Yeah. So, in Job 38, 1 through 7, your translation had in all the sons of God, right? In yes. verse 7? All right. So in mine, and granted mine's a New Living Translation, uh, I got the little asterisk. Uh, it said Hebrew, sons of God, but my translation is uh, all the angels shouted for joy, uh, which I, we all know there's angels, and Satan was an, a fallen angel. And, uh, and in the first Job, uh, uh, 1 through 6, it's, Mine does the same thing again. Um, so it's not really saying there are uh, other gods, but just his angels were surrounding him. Yeah, and in mine it says the morning stars were the angels. Yes. And sons of God. Okay, but where, the, where sons of God comes in is another... Verse 7. So... Are, well, and then, all right, so in Psalms uh, 80, which one was it? 82. 82, 82 it says, uh, God, mind says, you know, God presides over heaven's courts. He pronounces judgment on the heavenly beings. How long will you hand down unjust decisions by favoring the wicked, give justice to the poor and the orphan? Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute, rescue the poor and helpless, deliver them from the grasp of evil people. But these oppressors know nothing, they are so <laughs> ignorant. And then in verse 6, it says, I say, You are gods. You are all children of the Most High, but you will die like mere mortals and fall like every other ruler. Now, in my commentary section, uh, it says the psalmist calls the rulers and judges of Israel gods and children of the Most High. They were called gods because they represented God in executing judgment. And that's in John 10, 34 through 36, where it records Jesus using this passage 
to defend his claims to be God. His argument was, if God would call mere people gods, then why was it blasphemous for him, the true son of God, to declare himself equal with God? So, I, I don't know. I, this is the first time I've ever heard of divine counsel when you brought it up. But when I read the translation, like just somebody who's not well-versed in theology, you know, no degrees or anything like that, just somebody reading commentary, I look at it very much as just simple angels and Satan and God. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. And in the English translations, it's absolutely the way you're going to look at it. But when you break it back into the original Hebrew and Greek, it doesn't doesn't line up that way. That's what he's saying. Elohim is God, and it's used hundreds of times. But in you know, like in order to pluralize something in English, you have to add an s, e, s, or i, e, s to it to pluralize it. In Hebrew, twice in the same sentence pluralizes it. John, I think that I think that what what we're missing here on that part, though, just because you use it twice in this in the same sentence. There is there is a grammatical rule in Hebrew, and you did allude to this, that you know when God stands in the assembly uh, or the or the courts, um, that is plural. So it's it's your in in our English language, it would be you know kind of what is surrounding it that determines the case, singular or plural. Yes, Elohim is used multiple times in the Old Testament, but the there is a qualifier Hebrew word when you're talking about the capital G God, and you will you will normally see Yahweh when it is referring to big G God. Um that's just that's just my understanding of everything that I've looked at. Um, you know, in, uh, in, in my studies of, you know, the divine council and everything. And, and, you know, like high, like, like Heiser, I don't just go with what Heiser says. I go back and I look at multiple Hebrew scholars that have been, you know, long since dead and gone, um, who studied this stuff. And there's a lot of, a lot of things coincide, um, with what you know with the way they present it and the way heiser presents it um so you know I, i'm not denying the divine council i'm not denying that there are little g gods um so that you know it's it, it's all about it's all about the grammatical sentence structure of the ancient language that helps us to figure out exactly kind of what is being said well it it it's hard because elohim in ancient hebrew all it means is supernatural or spiritual being yes any of them right so it is spirits angels demons uh principalities uh any of that stuff it you know it's god it is, but the context is, is that he stands in judgment. A lot of people will look at, he stands in his divine assembly, and we've been taught that the divine assembly could be the three. 
you know, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And, but it can't be because he stands in judgment of them. He's not going to judge the Holy Ghost, and he's not going to judge Jesus. So there has to be another supernatural being or beings that are there that are in the council itself. That's what John is trying to say. Right. right. And it's also about, you know, the perspective of how people back then would see things. So uh, in the Job verse uh, tw- uh, 38, 4 through 7, the morning star, you know, Revelation twenty two sixteen, Jesus says, uh, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So there is precedence for Morningstar to be angels because of who he has sent. Jesus is the ultimate Morningstar. Uh, so reading commentaries on that, it says that, so the Morningstar shout for joy, which is going to be uh, the angels and then the sons of God, which could be the rulers that are yet to come. Or it could be a literally saying even the dumb stars that are in the sky sing for god and the angels the sons of god right so there's two ways to kind of view that one uh and it really depend because there's precedence for morning star to be both uh a dumb star or uh angels as well so it could be like you know, angels and more angels or literally saying not only do the dumb stars sing, but the sun, the angels sing as well. So there's, there's presidents there. I saw, uh, I want to say, is it Matthew Henry? Uh, yeah, Matthew Henry. Um, well, that's Psalm 82. I'm not, uh, we won't go there. We'll keep on Job 38. But I just saw that that it was that. Um, so I've seen it both ways of how they talk about the morning star. But I like the one where it says uh, the principal morning star is Christ himself and all the sons of God shouted for joy, which are usually understood of angels also. So the Targum, who are the sons of God, not by birth as Christ, nor by adoption as saints, but by creation as Adam. And we see that in Luke 3.38. And because they bear some likeness to God as Holy Spirits and honor and obey him in doing his will, though the character of sons of God as distinct from children of men given to professors of, of religion, which was obtained before the times of Job. So you kind of just see that. Uh, and there's more people who kind of, that's Gil. And then there's a... Uh, uh, Gil and Matthew Poole both kind of had the same thing that uh, was talking about the morning star is the um, kind of this hierarchy of how the angels, when it talks about those different things, which is, and also, uh, you know, alluding to men that were coming or like the, the, because men and people in statue and uh, sorry, my I have brain fog. I'm uh, leaders, emperors, kings, all those people were viewed as gods to the mindset 
of people back in that time period. That's how they were viewed. And that's where Psalms 82 comes in, that God is the, uh, if we, you know, you come in and read it and it says, uh, um, I love how Matthew Henry writes it. The psalm is calculated for the meridian of princes' courts and courts of justice, not in Israel, but in other nations. It was penned primarily for the use of the magistrates of Israel, the great Sanhedrin, and their other elders who were in places of power and perhaps by David's direction. This psalm is, this, this psalm is designed to make kings wise and to instruct the judges of the earth to tell them their duty and to tell them of their faults. And basically, when it says God is supreme and power and all councils and courts asserted down because those men were viewed as gods to the people, but God is saying that he's the chief director, that he's the mighty, the mighty one of all the councils of all the princes and the courts that are there. And so, um, and that's just them taking how they used Elohim and taking that mindset of how people viewed um, leadership back in the day. So kind of that, you know, old school <laughs> view. You know, nowadays we don't necessarily have that same view as people in power. Well, some people might, but in general, we don't view the, our leaders as gods. Very nice. Well, there is, there's a difference in the Bible when they talk about the Hebrew word for ruler is not always Elohim. When they refer to strictly human worldly kings or rulers or judges, they're not referring to Elohim. This one, this one specifically mentions Elohim, the supernatural or spirit being. Uh, for which one? Which verse? Psalms 82 1. Is feel uh, him. And right. if you look at the different translations, the New Living Translation, instead of gods, it's heavenly beings. You know, right. Uh, so when it breaks down, it's uh, the power and honor of magistrates. They are the mighty. They're also so authority. They are in the Hebrew dialect called gods. The same word is used for the subordinate governors that is used for the sovereign ruler of the world. They are Elohim. Angels, so-called both because they are great in power and might and because God is pleased to make of the service. So there is, in maybe not the Bible, but in other Hebrew texts and ancient Hebrew, uh, magistrates and people in power were also called Elohim because of how they viewed them. So it doesn't sound like we're disputing a divine council. Because in my head, and in, in living back in the day, I could totally see, you know, you got God and then, you know, his angels and Satan being a fallen angel. Um, in my head, I picture him using them more of a sounding board than advice gathering. Because it's his will, right? Like he's just awesome. But there's evidence in the Old Testament days where even humans swayed gods or swayed God from his judgment. You know, uh, it's like if there's just one, 
or if there's 20 or if there's, you know, 10 or one, you know, will you destroy this? You know, and just that kind of like, just the power of, of just prayer and, and praises and talking to God, you know, to be able to sway him. And so I, I imagine, uh, you know, God has his angels up there and, and all that. And he's just like the sounding board, like, well, all right. So Moses doesn't want me to do this. What do y'all think? You know, or, you know, that kind of thing. I don't know. It's just kind of funny in my head, but, um, it doesn't sound like we're disputing this divine counsel. What I'm curious to know is whoever this, uh, John, who's the author of the divine Council? What's his name? Michael Eiser. Or I, why did he come that. to that conclusion? That's what I want to Because that he says he came to the conclusion based on where the language took him. See, I wonder if this is because uh, I don't remember where it is in the Bible. Somebody help me out. We we talked about it one day, where I wonder if that's a case of overstudying, getting too deep into it. Remember we talked about that. The Bible says you can overstudy. Yes. Yeah, yeah, but if if you look at where, okay, if you take the Bible and you strip all of the denominations and traditions that we have and how we're supposed to think about the Bible and remove that and look at it from the first century Jew who is reading the New Testament, everything has a God. There are many gods behind idols in their opinion. Now, for us to sit here and say that, we're like, oh, no, we know better because we live in this world in which we know because we have been taught that God is the only God. And the worldview of having multiple mini gods, like God is the unique head of everything. And then he also has underlings underneath of him we view as angels and you know his enemies are demons and that's as far as we break it down the first century jews and prior to that the ones who wrote the old testament did not believe that all there were were demons demons were the little annoying people there were rulers and principalities like when they talk about the ruler of the principality of the air which is satan they had, there were whatever you want to call them, archdemons or whatever, who rule over certain sections of the earth. And they have dominion over that. And God reserved the tribe of, Is you know, the people of Israel as his own. And they had to maneuver their way through the desert you know, around the different principalities because it wasn't time to declare war, you know, they're against those quote-unquote gods. See what I'm saying? Our worldview is different than their worldview. We believe that they didn't understand how fire was made or, you know, they didn't understand a certain technology or weather phenomenon and they called it a god. Well, that may be true, but when they wrote the Bible, that it, or the Old Testament, that is exactly what they thought, that it was a God. 
I would actually say they were probably more in tune to what's going on in the spiritual uh, battle than we are. We have so much distractions and we have so much stuff that has, and maybe that's done been for a reason, right? I mean, maybe that's by design. Uh, how, because uh, there's certain gifts that come into play and there's just certain things and uh, maybe it's not where, I'm not saying it's not where we need to focus, but I would say they had maybe a deeper understanding or an more a less distracted view of the spiritual realm than what we have. So um, Christians today, yes. the church today are afraid to look into spiritual warfare in terms of how the first century church and the Israelites faced spiritual warfare. We look at it as, I claim it in the name of Jesus. I pray over you. I rebuke the devil. Nowhere in the Bible will you see anyone other than Jesus himself doing that. You know, where they're calling the devil out by name. Even Michael doesn't do it in Jude. You know? <laughs> and he's an archangel. You know? well, now, I mean, but, the apostles drove out demons. So Yeah, but they're not. Yeah. You know, they called it, you know, there's a difference between yeah. driving out and rebuking, you know, because, yeah. uh, you know, you get the church is like, well, if I, what I bind on earth is bound in the spiritual realm. Really? Okay. So the next church that sits here and rebukes the devil, you just keep him all bound up for the rest of eternity and it'll all be good. Right. And then how that works. If it's bound on earth. It's no, because in. he was, he's, he's powerful. He's more powerful than we, we on our own cannot stand up against exactly yeah yeah we can well, what what i'm saying is, is that the first century church and the the jewish people when it came to spiritual warfare they you know their mindset is different than ours i agree that's why and, like i just finished and reading. theirs is a purer yeah. form of combat than ours is yeah so like if you re you know read through leviticus and numbers and all the stuff they had to go through, a lot of that is the preparation of that mindset of making yourself holy, of yep. separating yourself. They had to. That was their life back then. I mean, yeah, it's, uh, you know, old covenant, new covenant, but where they didn't know about no new covenant. They just knew about they had these principalities. They had this spiritual realm that I actually believe it's the same. It's still there. I just think we're just so distracted. And we have other things that keep us from maybe noticing it as much and they did it. And so there, I mean, you read through Leviticus, like all the stuff, like it's exhausting. Like I just finished studying it. It took me like 40 days going through the book of Leviticus, but it's amazing. And I honestly think that going through all that was all preparing themselves because of all that stuff that they had. They had to do. They had to put themselves holy. They had to separate themselves. They had to clean and unclean and have all these and the different yeah yeah the different levels in the in the temple. And, yes. You know, oh yeah. You go all that inside you know and, and tying the rope to the priest or the chain to the priest. So because if you did something wrong, you died. I mean that's how simple. Yeah. You gave the yeah, wrong grain sacrifice. You died. 
And oh, I'm going to bring up another one here. We can chew on this one for a little bit. We're going to hop back to Genesis 1. And we're going to go back to Genesis 1.26. I'm going to read the verse, and then I'm going to read what I have in my uh, their, their breakdown of it. But um, then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the flesh of the seas, over the birds of the air, over cattle, over the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image. So it starts with an hour and goes to a his. All right, so the breakdown here is God uses the plural pronouns, us, our, ours, to refer to himself has raised many questions. At least five different suggestions have been put forward to explain them, and they may be referenced in this way. First off is he says our is in the Trinity. Now, automatically, you can take the Trinity out of the Old Testament because the Holy Spirit hasn't been introduced. Holy Spirit comes into the New Testament when Jesus prepares us and then the Holy Spirit comes in. Oh, oh John. I don't think you can take the... Um, God in creation. And we then lost God's you there for a little bit, John. Yeah, What's you, you, we lost you. Yeah. Okay, I should be back now. Yes. Okay, so it's got uh, God and his angels, um, God and creation. A fourth one would be God's majesty as expressed by a literary device known as the plural of majesty. And five would be polytheistic view of God, which they say uh, the fifth option is not tenable because there's multiple other places in the Bible where it just disputes that. And so that one's tossed out. Um, but it's just interesting when you, when, when you look at that and he's like an hour image, you know, who's our, you know, and then later on he goes into saying in his own image, in the image of God, he created him male and created him female. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, uh, fill the earth and have dominion over everything. Wait, I have a question. How do you know? That okay. Yeah. That, that's like a 26 and 27 is kind of the two there. How do you, how do you know that the spirit wasn't introduced before? Because uh, Genesis, Genesis one, two specifically says, and the, the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Yes, but the people didn't know about the spirit. They had, you, you know what I mean. I mean, the, the Holy yeah. Spirit wasn't a common well, theme. All right. Well, who's the Is author that, of Genesis? Moses. Right? I, well, yeah, but everything is God inspired, so it's God inspired. But we're talking uh, around fourteen fifty, fourteen ten BC. So you know well after the earth was formed and so one of the commentaries once i gotta read the commentary because i'm an idiot but the uh it says why does god use the plural form let us make human beings in our image and of course it references the trinity uh of course like you said in the old testament they didn't know about the trinity that we know of i mean they may have i don't know uh, another view is that the plural wording is used to denote majesty, which would have been around around that time. Kings traditionally use the plural form in speaking of themselves. So yes, it's God inspired, but it's also man written. 
So he could be writing in a form that he knew of at that time. Well, you know, and I kind of, I kind of have to agree with John on this one on throwing, throwing the Trinity out. Yes. The spirit, uh, it was introduced in, um, Genesis one, two, but Jesus was not around. Jesus was the begotten son. So he was, he wasn't, he wasn't even in the picture until Mary conceived that seed that was taken care of and planted by, you know, by the spirit. I, so I have to take issue with that. I think Jesus showed up in the Old Testament, just not as Jesus in the form of man. Well, not only that, but that would mean that Jesus had a starting point and he wouldn't be the eternal. Which we know is directly contradicted in the Bible. Look at the beginning of John. In the beginning, there was the word and the word was with God. That is Jesus. What's, what's What's the Greek word? for word logos okay logos that is not a that is not a physical being that is a breath so So are, are you are you saying that the trinity isn't equal each branch isn't equal to each other because they have to all be eternal and they have to all exist for them to be equal they don't have to be equal, though. But they are. Uh, under, under, under which worldview? Our worldview or first century Jew worldview? Or Moses worldview? Because... You don't think Jesus shows up at any point in the Old Testament at all? You can, you can speculate... But Jesus is the only begotten Son. You have to, you have to, the, you have to understand the begotten form of, of the, you know, the Word. He had, he had to, he had to be hatched for all intents and purposes. So, you know, and that leads that leads to a point I was wanting to make earlier that yes. There are multiple sons of God. Jesus was the only begotten. That's the uniqueness of Jesus because he was the only one who came from woman. But we know Uh, in Isaiah, uh, you know, he wasn't named Jesus, but he was named a savior. Would be that was Jesus. But that, but that was a prophecy. That was a prophecy. That was oh, not. There are some. So you had the three strangers that approached Abraham and uh, Sarah. There are some. Um, right. That and uh, there's there uh, the angel who appeared to Hagar, the quote unquote angel, as they said at the angel. But she named him as El Roy. Right which is the God who sees saying, you are the God who sees me. And have I truly seen the one who sees me? And uh, 
a lot of people be, say that that in a sense could be Jesus because it represents how Jesus was. So there's different ones on how they're described in the Old Testament have the same attributes of how we would describe or name Jesus. And so they do it so. Uh, well, not only that, okay. but God exists yeah. out of time. Okay, so, yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm going to uh, read you this part here um, because I'm glad you brought up begotten, Eric. Um, because there is um, a translation dispute on this particular word. So I'm going to read. Hold up. Yeah, stop, stop reading. You froze. <laughs> hey, while we're waiting on John, it's Ecclesiastes 12.12. 12. It says you can overstudy. I looked it up. <laughs> <laughs> It was driving me nuts. I had to find it. Now, before we get all heated about what we believe, you know, these are non-essentials. You know, I agree. These, you know, yes. It, it, your worldview, you know, on how the Old Testament views things does not determine, you know, your salvation in the least or how you attack the spiritual realm or how you view it. Or whether or not we understand the divine counsel. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Okay, I'm back. Yay. Yay. Okay, so let me, get, let me get down to this. Okay, so I'm just going to get down to it. So um, for years, monogenes was thought to have a derived from two Greek terms, monos only, and genau, which means to beget or bear. Greek scholars later discovered that the second part of the word monogenes does not come from the Greek verb geno, but rather from the Greek noun genos, which is class or kind. The term literally means one of a kind or unique. So Jesus was his only begotten, his only unique son, because he's the only one that took on human form, that was born of a human and took on human form. Now he goes in and says it was used other parts of the Bible. Abraham had his only begotten son, Isaac which we know it wasn't his only son. But it was his only son, and it was his unique son because of his covenant with God. Right. But uh, when, you need to be careful about taking human form because then you can go to whole Genesis one, uh, 6, where they talk about the angels who, the angels, are, yeah. who aren't supposed to have sex organs, yep. who are begotting children of their own. So they had to have taken a human form to do that, right? Not necessarily. Not necessarily, yeah. Yeah, we don't know. That's that crazy stuff. Yeah. Then we can then we bring in my favorite guy. <laughs> no email. Dogma. If they made movies on this, guys. Hey, there's a uh, talking about uh, Christ present in the Old Testament. It's so It's in Hollywood, then it's real. It's got to uh, be real. John eight fifty six and 58 says the I am in whom Abraham rejoiced with Jesus. Hebrew eleven twenty six talks about the Lord who motivated Moses was Christ. Jude 5 is the redeemer who brought them out of Egypt was Jesus. First Corinthians 10, 4 talks about the rock in the wilderness was Christ. John 12, 40 through 41 says the king of Isaiah's temple vision was a son. We just, you know, kind of talked about that. So those are New Testament indications of where and who Jesus was and how he was in the Old Testament. 
as well. Yeah, and Jesus himself said that he saw Satan fall from heaven fall. in a lightning bolt. So yep. he had to have existed at that time. He walked in Eden, uh, in the Garden of Eden as well. Boom, Eric. You know, I'll, ask, I'll, ask, I'll ask this question too. How many, how many of you would be able to walk up to your pastor and have a conversation about this without the pastor either trying to just completely divert the conversation, say this isn't something you talk about, or just flat out shutting you down? Oh, no. My pastor's awesome, man. He loves that whole spiritual warfare crazy supernatural kind of stuff it's awesome because i can ask him i can throw him all these weird curveball questions he's like you know what i'm gonna point you to chapter and verse and i'm like this is awesome i love it because you know i come from a very unique background you know yeah. how i became a christian so i throw him all these curveballs about well what about this and he's like i'm glad you asked here, let me show you where in the Bible it says that. Because I love it when he says, based on my experience, I hate those type of answers. But it's, let me show you in the Bible, deal. <laughs> so I would say uh, main pastor would, uh, he wouldn't shut it down, but he, he talks about um, spiritual warfare. So I think he would, I don't know if he would have the time to sit down and talk to me about it. Uh, but his son, Josh, I think would be more, because we've had similar conversations. So how a lot of it started was we kind of were talking about this because I was asking about the church that Michael Eiser goes to here. And he's like, stay away. What well, one, there's red flags when I go to their website anyway. He's like two years ago, the main pastor of that church went full apostolistic and was in the middle of a... Uh, doing the uh, Lord's Supper and Jesus came to him and revealed new revelations to him and a new path and new words and new things and just went full apostolic. Did and you watch, did you watch those videos? They're on YouTube. That is not what happened. So <laughs> I'm not talking about Michael Eiser. I'm talking about so um, no, no Stovall Weems. I know, yeah. I know exactly who you're talking about. But if you can watch the video, he doesn't claim new revelation. Well, okay, when he talks about the description of Jesus itself, <laughs> yes. But when it talks about his church and the direction, was that he's going to stop being. Uh, it's been more yeah, than just those claiming. YouTube videos. It's been other things that he pointed me to. And he's just like, he just, he's just like, you got to be careful what comes out of that church because he sometimes will preach and say things that is uh, book, chapter, verse, right? Where book, chapter, where, where is it? It's stuff that was revealed. And so he's just like, you've, he just said you need to, you know, and so he's like, so anything, take, every, he goes, if you're going to receive anything from that church, because they're trying to open up, like Michael Eiser opened up their Masters of Divinity. That's not even a master. They can't even get accredited because of their main pastor and some of the stuff that they teach. Like no one will accredit their school. 
they've well, been trying to. So, and I've been doing like a lot of research. So it's just one of the things where it's like some red flags and you have to kind of like, there are some good things like Stephen Futrick, right? He has some good stuff. He has some stuff that I'll just like, just shut up, go back to old Steve. I like old Steve better than new Steve, you know? Uh, so it's one of those kind of things. So where it's like, gotta be, but I, I, I say all that to say, I can have, I believe I can have this conversation about this stuff with my pastors or different ones and be like, Hey, you know, what are your thoughts on the divine council and this and that and breaking down the Hebrews because they're nerds in that sense. Right. <laughs> like they love. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, one thing, one thing about that though, Carl, that I'll, I'll, I'll kind of say is Heiser is starting the university down there, but he worked on this thing 15 years prior to even meeting Stovall. Oh, I'm not saying anything so, about the divine council or Iser. I wasn't saying anything about him. I was just talking about the, the church that he's currently at. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. Stovall sought him out and said, I want to you know, talk to you about what happened on his pulpit or whatever that uh, um, Arthur's talking about. And then in talking, Stovall's like, I want to start a university that teaches this because it's something that's not taught openly, it seems. And know, people will talk about it, but the majority of people just, they look at you with their eyes crossed, like, what are you talking about? What's funny is Heiser has always said on his podcast, on any of the podcasts and interviews that he's done, is that he's not seeking accreditation. He right. wants to do it because he feels led to do it and doesn't care about the accreditation part of it. Yeah, that's why he's non-denominational too. He won't. He won't choose a denomination or a theology he's not you know this is how i view it it's just like because he, he doesn't want to tie himself to that to the narrowness of, of what that is you know catholicism is is narrow i mean you either have to do it this way or you're breaking the rules you know where lutherans this way and you know the different theologies and and way they go about it so he doesn't tie himself to those particular things because he just wants to look at it without a box if that makes sense but but isn't but isn't the pathway to heaven narrow the gate yes the gate's narrow the path is wide boom eric kind of kind of shut up danny <laughs> you jerk <laughs> But but does it doesn't that like create a massive bottleneck in traffic flow if you've got a wide road leading to a narrow gate? Only if there's a lot of people on it. Well, a lot of people go down a wide road and they go straight to hell. So, you know, I'm 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 just I'm 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 being the d bag here and asking the question. So unlike you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> no, it's funny you bring up the the isn't the 
the path now because we I'm looking at my notes from Sundays because he went through that where he talked about the the narrow but go ahead keep talking well no oh you know it's it's you know what what we're I mean what we're taught from you know early on you know why it is the path to destruction um but you know you know it's it's talking about how you know the the path and this is what this is what i'm remembering is that the you know the 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 pathway to and the gate is narrow and those who find it are few you know so i'm just i'm just i'm thinking outside the box here and you know i'm not trying to start a fight um i'm not saying jesus was socialist um so you know, um, it's just <laughs> it's 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 just one of those things that you know is kind of in, in in the back of my mind. It's just kind of it, it's just kind of gnawing at me, you know. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Oh, I guess I better stop stop intending good then, <laughs> huh? <laughs> <laughs> Boom, Danny. Well, that didn't make sense. <laughs> no, but it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, so going back to the, can I ask my pastor this question? Uh, I can honestly say this is not a conversation I would have with my pastor because I don't go that deep with things. My conversations usually deal with, uh, you know, I gossip. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Danny, we just call you Puddle because you're about as deep as a mud puddle. This is true. <laughs> and about as clear as one, too. Yeah, but then you can always point out that Jesus said I'm supposed to have the faith of a child, which means I don't have to go that deep. This guy right have, here. I just have to accept <laughs> John 3.16 is true and repent and make disciples. That's it, done. That's it, done, done. I go give out a bag of hope and say, God loves you. I love you. Here you go. Man, where's the hope in that? There is oh. no shame in that philosophy in life. No, not at all. Absolutely not. No shame here, Danny. Not on my part. I wouldn't understand it if you did. But you know, you know, Timothy does say, "Study to show thyself approved." No, and look, there's, there's a. This is why one of the reasons I, I took the role as adult Sunday school leader is so to force myself to get into it, not on a very deep level, but on a level enough that I can have a conversation with new believers about the importance of going a little deeper. Does that make sense? Yeah, but how can how how can you how can you preach what what you don't do? Oh, I don't preach. Uh, preach, teach is synonymous words here. <laughs> um, you know how how can okay how can but that's you why I do it. I, right. I do it. You know, I, I I get in this and I get in. Uh, I don't have it in here, but the the leader's guide that they gave me for Sunday school. And it actually teaches me how to teach Sunday school. And it's uh, incorporating all these things. 
you know, stuff we learn in college, you know, make eye contact and give them time to answer questions and, you know, the basic stuff. But uh, when it comes to studying, uh, I study. I just, like, like when I read the commentary, I don't go past that, you know, unless something is leading me there to go past that. But if I'm reading the word, it's usually, all right, that's awesome. I like it. And there's nothing wrong with that for taking commentaries are good, but you can get so into the weeds and then you can lose the focus of what you were trying to put out. And sometimes you just have to take it for face value. Like, like you can go into the weeds about why, in Kings and Chronicles, they have different numbers about the armies or how many people died. And there's different commentaries. But I would say, okay, who cares? Uh, the basics one is one is more accurate than the other one because of who they were written for, right? Whatever. That's kind of the main synopsis. Like one is an actual count. One is more the story. But does it really matter? No. And you get in the commentaries and they break down and do all these. It's kind of like the commentaries with the divine council. Because, you know, there's so much. Like you have the Elohim, Elohim, and Elohim this. And then the morning star. And then Revelation, Jesus is the morning star. And then you have this. And you can get so into the weeds, which is sometimes good if you want to write a book and you want to do a podcast. Um, uh, <laughs> but, but, some, but, <laughs> but sometimes it's you take it and so like when you read it and it's just like all right i'm going to take this for let's just take this for face value for what it is and that's kind of that childlike faith i, yeah, right? I think the best example yeah. is the difference in the in the gospels when they talk about well why does it say here that oh yeah jesus had two blind people and healed them. And in Mark, it says only one. I think you're missing the point. The point is that he healed a blind man. (laughs) And the numbers are a detail that, you know, are based off of how somebody was told the story and got their facts. You know, (laughs) it's like, hmm. Well, I like, uh, uh, there's that, was it that meme? And it talked about, uh, I saw on Facebook, it says, you know, the different, the difference of the gospels. So it's like, Luke, well, let me explain to you who God was. Matthew's like, let me show you the genealogy so you can see who God, you know, John's like, I'm going to show you for the beginning that God is love. And then it has Mark. And it's like, let's just get down to the nuts and bolts. Like, I'm not going to to describe anything about who he was. I'm just going to get straight to the point. (laughs) Yes. And thank you, Mark, for that. So, no, it's funny. (laughs) Uh, I like these things. What, uh, what, uh, what I like about it is, I mean, there's, is we learn, we discuss, uh, it gets you into, and I like how we're kind of taking this of the different worldview. That's that hermeneutics, you know, kind of like how the, when we talked about the scriptures that were misquoted or used the wrong way, you know, like the one in Jeremiah, right? And like, like if you're really not understanding 
the world view of what is going on. That's why I think like to get kind of really get like Paul, when he talks about uh, women's roles, right? Well, look at how women were and their status during that time. You have to take that into account. Now, whether or not that plays into our society, there's a debate there. You, but you can look at how women were, but he didn't tell them to shut up and go home. No, because they played an extremely important role, oh, and yeah. especially with Paul, right? They, you know, were a very important role. So I think people forget about that. Is and that's what's good. What I like, what we do is, is we try to, and especially with this specific one, is let's look at how first century, because first century they didn't have Google, they didn't have all this, all they, it was just how they saw it, right? It was just how they saw it, and they had to go on that faith, and if it was a being. If it was a um, a giant, whatever it was, if it was celestial to them, and when they were writing, then that's how they wrote it, because that's how they perceived it. And I think we have to. You need to try to view it from that lens, but that's difficult because we want to reject some of that stuff. Yeah, I would agree. And and just history in itself, when you look through history. Um, I mean, look at look at today. I mean, when when I talk about the cloud of um, just everything that's around us, I mean, what you said 34 years ago can now be held as what your character is today. Yeah, uh, you know, yes. it, this is 30 years ago. This isn't 2,200 years ago. We just saw that play out on the court with uh, oh, what's his name for Supreme Kavanaugh. Court Justice? Yeah. Kavanaugh, we just saw that play out. That's what's so great about the Bible. Even today, it's it's such a wonderfully written, living book. Like it it changes. I mean, it doesn't change, but it it. No matter what time period you're in, it's relatable. It's true. Yeah, you know, I mean, would... there's there's no other book out there like it that can do that. Did you want to pray us out, John? Or do you want someone else to? Uh, Eric can. Sweet. Sweet. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that you allowed us to get together and, and have this discussion. And Father God, I just ask that what has been said in this podcast, Lord, it will, it will resonate with the people who hear it, Father God. Lord, let them take what the, the wheat out of it. Let them take the nourishment out of it, Father God. And... Any, anything that was was maybe the, the, the waste product, let them just toss that to the side. But Lord, I, I ask that you speak to hearts through this podcast, Father God. Make changes in lives, Father God, and help us to gain the correct godly worldview, especially when we're in your word, Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.